Hello, and welcome to Creepy Core and Folklore, the show about creatures, encounters, old tales, and myths. I'm your host, Iona Wayland, a dark fantasy author, mental health professional, and overall curious person. I want to join other spooky souls and hear about these unusual stories. Hello, spooky soul, and welcome back to the third and final portion of Mermaid Mermaids, the super special ultimate deep dive episode into merfolks and their history and lore and just like all these mythos about them. I really super appreciate the support of you just like swimming with me in the depths of this information and just really peeling back the layers as to what makes up the mermaid, where they come from, how their stories have evolved, depending on how much time has passed, depending on the culture, depending on the region. There's so much that goes into mermaid folklore. And I was really excited to have such an abundance of information about them. I know I've talked about it before, but there's much of folklore is lost to time and eradication even. And to be able to have the opportunity of being like, it's such a privilege to be overwhelmed with information about a creature like this, Um, especially because usually I'm scouring articles and books and things like that to look at not only like the information about them, but also kind of critically think about how accurate the information I'm getting is and having to like use disclaimers when saying like, I don't know if this is necessarily true or not, but talking about the mermaid, like there's, there's a little bit of mermaid in everybody. And there are these common themes and threads of stories that just really thrive and have survived all these crazy changes in culture and thought process and society. And they're still around, like they're still here and we are still here. This last portion is going to be completely dedicated to the themes and things that I've taken away from the different articles and folkloric background and different like symbolism that has shown up repeatedly in many of these stories. There are so many more types of merfolk, lore, cryptids, and spirits that I didn't cover. Um, There's, of course, local legends and personal encounters Uh, They were quite plentiful and I didn't even touch those because those are like individualistic and as much as I'd love to talk about mermaids, having three separate giant episodes about them is like, we got to end it somewhere, I guess. (laughs) Um, And all these stories and sightings have these themes I can't help but notice. And some of the things I noticed And they were confirmed in the articles that I'll include below. But some of the themes I noticed and they were just things that I was kind of picking up on, uh, especially because my job is very forward facing and intimate. Um, uh, And in case you didn't know, I'm a trauma therapist and there were just some like survival and resiliency type of factors in many of these stories that were astounding to me. There's a gorgeous article that I'll be referencing for this portion in particular um, of this special episode titled Mermaids, Myths, Kith, 
and Kin by Akanksha Singh. And Singh discusses Mamiwata from African lore, um, and that's Pigeon English for Mother Water, um, and Iranian water goddess from 3000 BC with braided hair, breasts, and bisected fishtails, and Havariz, Naya Roro Kidul, or the spirit queen of the Indian Ocean, end quote. Singh goes more in depth, but she references Atagartis being the first recorded human fish combo um, and described like what I was thinking originally, where it's a human head with the fish body. I knew there was a creature out there with the human head with the fish body, but the way she described Atagartis, which there's many different iterations of her. So of course it's going to change, but I'm not crazy. Uh, that was a thing. <laughs> that is a thing. And it was written down. So I didn't make that up, that horrifying being up. Singh goes on to discuss more regarding how that information spread and the different symbols represented in merfolk and quote mermaid adjacent and quote lore. I really like that term mermaid adjacent. I think that's like a really, I'm going to start using that instead of merfolk, or I'm going to kind of switch it up between those. But today in this episode, I'm going to be focusing on femininity, otherness of her tail, and something I didn't pick up on, but her, quote, halfness, the mysteries of the ocean, and the lack of modern society aboard ships. So let's dive in. Here we go. So she discussed how being a waterman or a seafarer was an escape for queer or LGBTQIA plus folks. Um, She also references many femme pirate couples. um, And one of the more famous ones is Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. But there were a lot of different ways to express yourself on the sea because it wasn't like, quote, normal society. So there would be femmes dressing, quote, as men, end quote, during high seas work. Um, There was a lot of polyamory and deep trust and connection within the crew. And that is something that I really don't know much information about, but I love to see how history isn't erasing queer folks and that there was maybe a reason for seafarers or or watermen um, to discuss mermaids and how that might have shifted based on their perspective and their societal norms aboard the ship. Mermaid sightings, uh, Singh discusses, could have been, one, hallucinations of sailors desperate for female companionship. That's one possibility. Another might be manatees or dolphins from a distance. Um, And I'm pretty sure you've heard of that one. I know I've heard of that one where it's like, man, they thought manatees were mermaids or dolphins were mermaids. And I just think that's very interesting. Um, And then the third thing that it could be were cargo cult rituals, to name just a few theories. So I had no idea what cargo cult rituals were, um, but Singh provided a scholarly article about it. So then I was able to click the article and read through it. Um, And the short version, it goes very in depth. So if you want to know more like that is in there, um, because I think it's important to learn like straight from the source what's going on. Um, But my shortened version is that as places got colonized, um, 
another article I looked up specifically mentioned Melanesia and like specifically getting colonized. Um, And then I didn't know what that was. So bear with me here. But Wikipedia said Melanesia is a subregion of Oceania in southwestern Pacific Oceans that stretch from New Guinea to Fiji Islands and includes the Arafura Sea. It includes Fiji, Vanuatu, Solomon Islands, and Papua New Guinea. From what I understand, these colonized areas were trying to be seen as their own country, an independent body, not something to be taken over. So as people would try and colonize or would successfully colonize each of these areas, they were like, no, we are people here. We already exist. We are our own country. So they did these rituals to usher their god or gods to send them cargo like the big ships that were there because there were these big ships that would constantly get cargo and supplies and they would be able to outlast or kind of starve out the different places they were colonizing. And so they were like, I don't know why the sea is bringing them cargo or where these giant ships are coming from because that was just not something in their society. Um, And so they would do these cargo cult rituals. Um, So maybe the article is referencing some of the people doing the rituals being mistaken as mermaids or the offerings to the ocean. So like maybe if people were out in the ocean and they were doing these rituals um, for more cargo, then maybe seafarers would see humans out there or see certain types of offerings floating that was human shaped or mermaid shaped or what have you. And they thought they were their own creatures. So that's another theory that I had never, ever heard of before. And so I was really thankful for Singh for like pointing out what it was and then also including the scholarly article she used so that I could like take a look and to see what's going on. The article also points out the femme fatale stereotype and I thought that about that too. So um, it reminds me of Undyne and Melusine and how they were these like feral spirits that these men report feeling lured by them and a desire to, quote, domesticate them. Um, And I personally noticed certain symbols like femme fatale trope, bared breasts, long hair, um, whether it was locks to braids to seaweed, like the hair was always its own thing. Sometimes it was even sentient. Um, And there were also these themes of being held hostage slash domesticated and this like feminine power that would need to be crushed. And I think that it's seeing like the woman in her natural habitat or the femme in her natural habitat. And what would she look like outside of the male gaze or outside of male dominated societal norms? And maybe, you know, maybe I'm getting too into it, but there were these symbols time and time again in every single one of these stories where it was like this incredibly independent woman was punished for it or this incredibly independent woman was like uncultured um, and their being cultured meant being held hostage. Like the stories were so incredibly impactful and powerful. And unfortunately, there's still there can be people that still connect with them today. Um, It was also neat to hear about this article discussing disability too. So side note, this featured speaker was named Cynthia Baroness um, in the article and she talks about quote mermaid drag. So um, not only did she talk about mermaid drag, 
but she talked about specifically in wheelchair users and how they'll express them their disability and gender in a myriad of ways, using the mermaid locks as the transcending focus. I am obsessed. I looked up pictures of mermaid drag. It is incredibly powerful. And that's also something else that gets forgotten about a lot is the way disability shows up in folklore and the way people talk about it because not only is it fixated on women who typically in most cultures do not actually I can't think of a culture where women are considered like maybe by numbers the majority but by um but by people who hold power or make a certain amount of money or whatever like they are the minority when it comes to power differentials but also like there are there's intersectionality there. So like they might be a double or triple or quadruple minority. Like there could be someone who is a femme and then they're also a person of color and they also are disabled on top of that. And like the those intersectionalities that kind of compound the oppression can show up and like kind of be fought back with using folklore. But time and time again, I'll see disability or um, indigenous peoples used as like the antithesis of what the speaker is trying to say. So like whoever's telling the folklore will kind of like use that folklore with the stereotyping depictions of this creature. Um, and that they, they like, talks about why like capturing it or enslaving it or killing it would be the right decision because they're the ones telling the story. And what they're doing is they're trying to justify harming other fellow humans, um, especially ones that have less rights than the majority. But the mermaid tales are are kind of the opposite. Like, yes, there were these um, portions where the woman or the femme uh, cryptid would be captured and domesticated, whatever that means. But out of all of the stories, it didn't end that way. And some there was revenge, and and some there was the return to freedom, and some there was this beautiful connection with their god. There was abundance. There was there was independence, and like this is just something that's really interesting to me that the mermaid is the one that transcended years and years of oppression, years and years of different iterations, and it still kept its same theme. And it's just like a really cool thing to see how the imagery has maybe changed. And obviously, like the beauty standards, depending on the region and the time period will change. But the core theme of like, I am this living being that some may covet and some may try and take from, but ultimately like I am a survivor and resilient and I have my own strength. It's really, really breathtaking. So there was this other section to this article called the quote half and half. Um, And it discusses the discussion really resonated with me personally Um, you probably already know I'm mixed race. Um, there's lots of times where I have tried or other people have tried putting myself, um, and other mixed race folks that I know or, or biracial folks that I know into a box of some sort, but I'm like 
as they say, more than the sum of my parts. I am a whole quote other thing. Um, I'm not white. I'm not black. I'm not Asian or indigenous. I am a mix of white, black, Asian and indigenous and Latinx, but that's an ethnicity. So that's a whole other thing. But like, look at that. That's not one thing. That's a whole other thing. But then it gets into, I don't want to be othered either just because of my background or the way I look or whatever. So that kind of ties into mermaids. Like this is what the article talked about. I didn't realize how, why I was like, so intrigued and I'm sure mermaids are so complex and the stories of mermaids are so complex and um, specific that I'm sure that there's going to be different parts of mermaid tales that resonates with you as like the spooky soul listener um, that might be different than mine or might overlap with mine but like mermaids aren't human and they aren't fish they're mermaids they're more than the sum of their parts they're a whole other thing Um, and when it comes to like gender expression, sexuality, ability, there are other concepts that exist in a big blobular spectrum. And this is another reason why mermaids can symbolize that beautiful quote otherness and to be othered is vulnerable and traumatizing. And even though no one should have to carve out a space to exist, When I do find my spaces, I feel exquisite. Like you're allowed to just exist despite people, family or society's best attempts at quote taming you or shackling you or minimizing you or drowning you. We are who we are as a people and the mermaid survives. It demands respect and they exist beautifully And she is in all of us. So thanks for like listening while I kind of got a bit vulnerable there and like discussed some of my takeaways as well as other people's takeaways from The Mermaid. I think this is one of the most powerful topics I've covered. Um, And there are just so many nuances to folklore and why it exists today and the people that make up the retellings of it. So I'm I'm really thankful that I can join in in the oral tradition of sharing about anything, anything really, but like of being able to talk about my own experiences and these merfolks and mermaid adjacent creatures. I have really loved diving into mermaids with you and Thank you for making this such a cool episode to cover. Thank you for requesting it. Thank you for bearing with me while I went on my soapboxes <laughs> and like my rabbit holes where I had to like pause and like look shit up on the fly. Like I really, really appreciate it. And I loved that I was able to talk about them with you. So thank you for listening to this very special part three of three episode of Mermaid Mermaids. And I can't wait to talk about more creepy things or folkloric things with you next week. Thanks to all you spooky souls out there for listening to Creepy Core and Folklore. 
Follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok if you're looking for more uncanny content. If you have your own tales to tell, you can email creepycoreandfolklore at gmail.com. If you liked this, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts or tell a friend who might enjoy these stories to spread the word. If you're interested in dark fantasy, check out my Hollowverse series. Ashes is available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and audiobook on Audible. And the sequel is underway. I'm Iona Wayland, and I'll see you next time.